Welcome to Can Knock the Shuffle. I am Sean Kantrowitz. I'm a music producer. I'm a TV producer, the host of a hip hop game show called The Questions, and I'm kind of obsessed with how songs get made. As a fan, I've always noticed that artists typically only get asked about the same handful of songs throughout their entire career. It's always made me wonder, what about the stories behind those lesser known songs, the ones that journalists tend to overlook? And in my experience, those unheard stories are the ones that the artists really want to talk about anyway. So that's why Can't Knock the Shuffle exists. I take an artist's entire catalog, I put it in a playlist, throw it on shuffle, and then we talk about whichever songs are randomly selected. We take the interview angle out of the equation and leave it up to the algorithm to dictate which stories get told. Well guys, we have reached the end of Can't Knock the Shuffle's first season, but I will be back in 2021 for a second season. But before we close this one out, I'm sitting down with Sean Daly, better known as Slug, one half of Minneapolis hip-hop group Atmosphere. Atmosphere, they've been dropping records since the late 90s. They've carved out their own lane in the indie scene that, quite frankly, taught a lot of artists who would follow them how to tour, how to galvanize an audience in some of the less traditional markets in the U.S., and really how to operate from a DIY aesthetic as they have done with their own label, Rhymesayers Entertainment. Over the years, Slug's style as a writer has evolved from being super underground, MCM using finger quotes, to getting super personal, you know, some people say that he invented emo rap, to becoming a bona fide storyteller in later Atmosphere Records, and in his side project, Felt, with Merce, who you'll recall we also talked about Felt in episode one, when I had Merce on the show. He's also the inventor of dad rap, and we're going to get into that as well. Anyway, this is a great conversation that goes all over the place. So let's go into it as I spoke with Slug as he drove around in his car through Minneapolis. Can't knock the shuffle. Episode nine. Let's go. Slug, what's good, man? How are you? Good morning, man. I'm just peachy. I'm fucking fantastic. Can I say fucking? You can say fucking and you can say peachy. Fucking peachy. I am fucking peachy. I'm fucking peaches. Wow. Okay. This took a turn that I wasn't expecting it to go to. If you had to sum up 2020 for your personal experience, what has been the main uh, summary of, of the year for you? Hindsight. 2020 is the year of the hindsight. Hindsight is 2020. That's like an old bumper sticker. I used to, I used to see old people say that shit. Uh, but that it, it definitely is valid right now. You know, 2020 has been the year of, I should have saw that coming. You're not going to see what's coming on this show. That's Uh what we call an amazing segue. Thank you very much. Because we have taken all of the songs from your catalog and mixed them into uh, randomly selected playlists. So are you ready to take a drive while you take a drive? I'm. Let's drive, bro. Let's do this. Song 1. This is going to be probably very easy for you to talk about because this is from the album that Atmosphere just dropped Less than a couple of weeks ago, it's from the day before Halloween, and the song is called Sleep Apnea. I saw you from the other side of the scene. You wanted us to notice you was kind of extreme. None of my business, I kept my distance. But still, I wish y'all the best of interests. The cocaine covered up the whole city Got them fucking around in circles Just to keep them so busy Now we fighting the war for what's inside I guess, what brain. do you do in your career when you put out so many albums, but now it's like, we're going to score a movie, right? Is, is that what the whole motif was behind this? Actually, the movie came second. The album 
came first. So I storylined this album. And then as I was doing it, I was like, man, I would love to make a visual representation for what I'm, what I'm writing here. And, I, and I've had that feeling before. I've done that with a few. I wanted to, we actually had a story, a storyboard set up to, we were going to make videos for every song on the, when life gives you lemons album and just, you know, couldn't afford it, not so much financially, but just time-wise. I, I didn't have the time to actually babysit that through and make sure that we had, uh, created a full film for that but there was there was a point where we were like yo we're gonna make a film and we're gonna we're gonna have like release parties at drive-ins and this was 2007 and then we got into it and started doing it we just couldn't get it together because of life you know and if you ever see the videos from that album you'll notice there's a lot of the same actors and actresses in the videos and that was that was part of the point so this time around I was way ahead of the game. I, I started thinking of this as I was actually writing this album and, and thought, okay, how do we score a film to this music? And, you know, COVID happened. And so we had limitations on us as far as like being able to like actually work with actors and actresses and things of that nature. So I turned to Jason Goldwatch and was like, hey, I would like to make a, a, a long form film to go along with this. Would you care to just interpret the album visually? And he listened to the album and, and he, he was like, yeah, I want to give it a shot. And so we did it and he just murdered it, you know? And it's, it, it's another thing that taught me about um, collaborating with people. You know, in the past, I was a control freak. That's probably why I couldn't get certain things completed. You know, the, like, the, like, like I was referencing the album that was going to go, uh, go with Lemons. Like, there was no way I'd get it done because I had to control all of it and I just don't have enough hands. Um, to be able to turn to another person and trust their vision enough to give them the steering wheel, it, it's taken a lot to get me there. And, and, and Jason Goldwatch you know, working with him, it's got me even more in there. I'm, I'm, I'm more appreciating the concept of the collaboration now than ever, because now I realize like, man, my vision is not always right or even fresh. Sometimes my vision needs somebody else to come along and kick it and be like, nah, dude, here's, here's the real vision. And then I could be like, yo, that is the real vision, you know? And so working with Goldwatch taught me more about how to collaborate with another person's vision and he murdered it. I could not have been happier with the results of this, this film. I don't know if this has anything to do with what you asked me. I, I kind of got lost in my own answer. We're all about that here. You know, drawing on something that you said earlier about kind of giving up a little bit of that control and letting go from an outside perspective, it's sort of, I would infer that perhaps that's been the MO of you and an aunt in the last year because you guys have really dropped a lot of projects. So you guys have had other eras where you've been pretty prolific as well, but was, was it always sort of the plan to drop things as much as you did? You had the felt record, you had the record last year that, that came out and then this Halloween album, was that always anticipated that you were going to put things out at such a steady clip or did the quarantine and did the state of the world sort of influence the rate at which you were dropping things? We always have made things at a very steady pace. And then the, 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 the issue that we bump heads into is it can be hard to find the rhythm for dropping them because we tour a lot. You know, you don't want to go out on tour and work two albums at once because that can be kind of confusing or, you know, and there's been times where I've toured and there'd been multiple projects that I'm working, but not, you know, full on, you know, albums in the machine. So with the lack of touring right now, it's allowed me and Anthony both to have a have a different kind of rhythm for how we want to drop music, and and so that's I think why it, it we went from you know the whenever drop to the felt drop to to this drop. We we were able to do it without 
you know, we never even finished our whenever campaign. Uh, COVID hit and we didn't get to do the rest of the tour. We had a summer tour that we were putting together. And that summer tour for the Whenever album was going to have Merce on it. And that's where we were going to release Felt and, and do the and do the surprise Felt thing and start doing Felt shows on that tour in August. Nonetheless, you know, all of this stuff, I, I, I can't tell you how this all would have worked out had COVID not happened. I can just say that we're, you know, making the best with what we've got to work with, which is it doesn't feel any different than ever. That's kind of like how it's always been. It's just, it's just this time there's other things at play that, but I, I don't know how, I don't know how this would have looked if, if, if COVID had not happened. So sleep apnea is the last song on the album and it's a concept album. And it seems as though based on what I've seen, you're sort of leaving a lot of this up to interpretation, but as much as you want to get into sort of what role does the song sleep apnea play in the story of the day before Halloween? Um, it's the character. Uh, the protagonist of the story reaches a, a place uh, after he has like a nervous breakdown at the party. He runs off by himself and he he realizes that's when he feels the most whole. He, he now feels whole when he's away from everybody else. He feels more seen now that he's alone, if that makes any sense. And Sleep Apnea, that's what that song is kind of about. It's really about like um, embracing the, you know, embracing the parts that you can't control and, and, and being okay with it and, and rolling with it and finding out that within that, you actually find that, that place to stand. You find the control. The title, I guess, to anybody who suffers from sleep apnea, there's obviously, there's, there's science and, and, and there's, there's ways you can deal with it and work with it. But one of the things that like, I have found with it is the um, waking yourself up, not, not intentionally, but just waking up out of your sleep because you're like choking on your own throat. I don't know. There's, there's a thing that you can, it's almost like you can count on it. It's shocking. It's jarring, but you can count on it, which I don't know, man, especially right now. It's, it's like, I'll take anything that I can count on. Uh, on a side note, I think last year I had to get my tonsils removed because I was having sleep apnea, which uh, was not fun. Uh, just, that, that, that just reminded me of that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That, that, that sucks. To, um, rest in peace, your tonsils. Oh, man. No, fuck those tonsils. They, they weren't doing anything good for me. Do tonsils do anything? Do they have a job? What are they doing? Do I they don't do? think so. I, I, I was reading a lot of literature about it at the time because it's the type of thing where you're supposed to, when you're a kid, it's supposedly a lot easier. So like there's that trope of like, oh, you're a kid. You get them taken out. You get to eat ice cream for a week. You're fine. When you get them done in your mid thirties, as I did, it's a whole other beast. And the, the doctor was like, you are going to be in 10 out of 10 pain for at least a week. And she was not kidding. So, wow. so are you suggesting we all just have our kids' tonsils removed? Like when they're, when they're kids, just, it's just like almost like as a, as a, as an optional surgery, you just go in get you, you know, it's next, next Friday works for me. Let's go get the tonsils removed. I, Cause what do they do? What is the purpose of a tonsil? You know, is that, is that a body part that we've evolved away from? You know what I'm saying? Like, the, like maybe back in the day it used to do something for us, but now it doesn't because we don't have gills anymore or something like that. <laughs> The fuck is a tonsil? Somebody call me. Call in. Call into the show right now. We'll wait. Call in. We'll we'll put a number in the actually I have Slug's number, so I'll put it in the description of this. And you could call him at any point. Uh you can call him and tell him the purpose of a tonsil. I intentionally don't have voicemail. Operators are standing by. Song two. We're going back to 2005, and it's from the You Can't Imagine How Much Fun We're Having album, and the song is called Get Fly. I'm a bonus in time, I can't fight you more until I'm finished with mine I used to be 
mad at the government Redirected some of my anger towards the mothership Trying to guess which shell living hell sleeps under When the grand scheme plan keeps all these people wondering Why we still running in place frustrated Pride is mistaken for hate, it's upgraded I got a little breath left, let's suffocate it Point at the epiphanies and call them all drug related The time I spent with my life on bent Trying to find the friends inside my head Must have disengaged every face What do you think about when you look back on the era of that song and this album that it comes from? I mean, here's the funny thing. Just playing that song for me was uh, that 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 hit me deep. Um, that song in particular was homeless for a while. Like that song, we'd made that song a handful of times, probably three, maybe four times before it finally found its home on that beat. And the different versions of that song couldn't have been more contrasting it's like uh there was like a real lullaby version there was a super super hard like guitared out version ultimately ended up living on that gospel version and i'm glad that's where it ended up that's where those lyrics should have probably gone from the from the first place it is it's a gospel those are gospel lyrics to me but what it says to me it what it reminds me is that in 2004 2005 when we were writing that album i i really thought my lyrics were the shit i really was like Yo, I can't let a song go. I can't let a song die. I was at a I was at a space where I think maybe because of how busy I stayed, I I, I felt too insecure to throw songs away because I I, I don't know if I'm going to have enough time to make the songs all the, you know I want to make a lot of songs I, I but I but I'm only getting to make so many because I'm touring a lot uh, I had my I had my hand in a lot of different in a lot of different jobs at the time and 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 so I I, I couldn't let that song die nowadays. If a song doesn't work on the first beat, fuck that song. Like, there's just too many more songs to write. You know what I'm saying? It's like, but at, but back then, at that time, I didn't feel comfortable or confident enough to let a song die. So I just kept trying it and trying it until I until it hit with that beat. And so it's weird because part of me is like, oh, man, I would never do that now. But if, if that's the case, then I would never have found a song like that one. You know what I mean? Right. I guess there's sort of an argument for both ways. Sometimes it's good to give it some time and see where you can go with it. And other times it's like, if it's not working, then you're going to get more. You you can't live necessarily thinking that you have a finite amount of inspiration and that you have to... I, honestly, I wish that I had taken this uh, advice for some of the relationships I've been in as well in my life. I've been definitely somebody who tries to stick through and, uh, and make them work uh, in the way that you sort of describe with this song, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. That's real, you know, and I think I think there's something to be said about loyalty. Loyalty is important, but also loyalty can be your own undoing often, you know, and and that's that's a lesson that we all get to learn in our in our own space, in our own time. But, you know, one of my strengths is loyalty and one of my weaknesses is also loyalty. And so it's a it's the it's a it's a it's an interesting space to be in. So when you when you have that kind of relationship with your art or with another human being, or you know with something that 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 is alive and organic, it's it 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 gets even further fucked up because you're depending on somebody else's loyalties as well, or you're also depending on you know whatever it is that you make art for, whatever kind of validation you're fucking with. You depend on the the nature of that. It's not so simple or one sided as we like to pretend that our own individual lives are. 
Get Fly always kind of struck me as well. It's it's sort of later in the album, and it sort of seems like a more mature song to me. Like, it, or, or there's there's sort of a sobriety to it a bit. Does it feel like that you can't imagine how much fun we're having? Album sort of was the turning of a new page for you guys as adults. Definitely. I I don't want to speak on behalf of Anthony, but I will and just say definitely. I think that was a turning point for both of us in our lives. I can go further into detail with myself and just say, you know, the day the music died, what's that that big hit uh, by, I can't remember the guy's name. It's it's a song that people like sing at their high school graduations and shit. Um, American Pie, right? Yeah, the American Pie joint. But when he says, you know, the day the music died, like I think that we all, not just even artists, but everybody has a, a, a line that they cross that is that. And then, you know, you may actually cross a, a couple of them if you get to live long enough, you know, but, but that was, that, that was one of those, those pivotal moments in my life where I, I crossed some new lines and, and became, you know, another person. We all have these growth moments in our life where your life changes again. And, and if you get to live long enough, you know, presumably you, you'll get to see this, uh, a handful of times over the course of a lifetime, but we forget that that happens. And so you think who you are right now is who you're going to be for the rest of your life. And that's just not how it works. And that, that song is, uh, or that, that song, but the whole album really is, is right around one of those moments for myself, which is, it's interesting to think about that in terms of art. Cause as a fan, when I listen to, let's say Tom Waits albums, I don't consider that part of Tom Waits's life. I just listen to his albums and then, and then all of his albums create this, uh, this picture of who he is in my mind, but you don't stop to think about like the different things in, in, in that artist's life that may have like changed or, or given them a new life yet again, yet again, yet again. But you know, if you're watching one of your siblings, you could see it happen in real time. Right. The art is very front facing when you're just in the audience for it. You're not necessarily given all of the context about what's going on in the human being behind the music's journey and evolution. Right. But if you hear it in the art, I do think that's a good look. I think that's important because it at least signals that that's a thing. It signals that. And I think the more times that that gets signaled, the more the the more we as artists will feel comfortable and confident in doing that you know i i feel like in in specifically in in my genre of music or, or in, in in this culture we haven't yet fully embraced allowing the artists to change and and evolve you know like do i i you know i want to hear fucking only built for cuban links when i hear raekwon and so, and so, but the, but the truth is it's, you know, Raekwon's a fucking human, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and all, and, and like, like the rest of us, you know, he's going through things, you know what I'm saying? And so it's like, and that, and, and the, the truth is that should affect the art, you know what I mean? But, but, you know, so here I am, you know, uh, getting tweets from random people saying you suck now. I wish you still sounded like God loves ugly. And I'm like, oh man, I, I feel bad that I let you down, but also, eh, not really because it's probably for the best that I'm not still the same person that I was in 2001. That's fucking weird. You know what I'm saying? And so it's like, I feel like they've allowed other genres of art, other types of art, other mediums to, to, to evolve with the artist. But in rap, we still want our rappers to sound like they sounded when we fell in love with them. You know, I think it's going to take a rapper, a popular rapper or rapper with a sizable audience doing a whole performance or a tour in their life where they perform sitting down. 
I think if we get to that point, I think that'll somehow be the catalyst for people to be able to be like, oh, I get it. Like it's a change because a lot of the theatrics and the performance aspect of of rap music doesn't necessarily change that much. You okay, know? They, well, let me ask you then: Am I popular enough? Yeah. Challenge accepted. Challenge fucking accepted. If you think that's all it takes, I'll fucking do that. I'll do a fucking tour sitting down. I'll bring a couch. I can fit I can fit a couch in the fucking trailer. I mean, especially now that we're not bringing live instruments and shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can totally fit a couch in the trailer, bro. In fact, why not? If, if it's a, you know, why not have a fucking extra couch on tour? You never know, you know, when you're going to want to fucking pull out a couch in the parking lot at a, a La Quinta and just fucking <laughs> hang out and, and, you know, fucking A, pull out a TV too and, and watch the fucking, the big game or whatever it is that people watch. You know what I'm saying? Like, fuck it. I feel like this is tr- this is trending into like a performance art thing where you're not even going to be performing. You're just going to be like hanging out in a replication of your living room, but it's on a stage. I fuck with it. I fuck with it. The thing is, though, for me, I, it means I have to like figure out how to contextualize an album around it so that I can make it visually fit the music too, you know? And then the other problem is then I have to actually perform new music in the show and that risks people throwing shit at me, especially if I'm sitting on a fucking couch, I'm not even a mobile target. Like at least on stage now, you know, in between sunshine and best day, when I try to drop a new song, I can be up there dodging and weaving the fucking bottles. You know what I'm saying? It's like now I'm going to be on a couch. Like that's easy. Like I might as well wear a shirt with a target on it, which challenge accepted. I'll do that too. Fuck it. Fuck it. I don't, I don't know. I think I got to scrap the couch idea. You've made a good argument against it now. You have me second guessing this uh, this minutes old idea, but we'll, we'll think about it. Song three. Fast forwarding to 2016, sort of relevant uh, based on what we were saying before. Uh, the next song is called Everything, and it is from Fishing Blues. Expected to die before that number got high. Just never deliberately considered it. Go figure it. Who'd have known I'd have had so many kids in the First one's groaning, doesn't answer his phone. The third son from the stone got me supposing I'm supposed to focus on keeping this home out of foreclosure from all four corners. Feels like I'm riding on an old roller coaster, the ghost of Christmas sober. Mostly, but I'm an overdose on these four leaf clovers. You can dance like a crash survivor, you can laugh or cry, whatever pacifies you. Funny, you talked earlier about the reluctance for audiences to embrace in hip-hop artist progression uh, in terms of age and being age-appropriate. When I think about an album like Fishing Blues, it seemed like you were sort of leaning more heavily than you had before into the quote-unquote dad rap title. I have leaned in to it since the family sign, really since the Lemons album. Um, It's just that I've had different leans and I'm just working on perfecting that lean if that makes any sense, you know, like it's a, it's an area that I started experimenting with, with the lemons album, which again, that's, that's, that's post that 2005 album that we were talking about, which was uh, around one of my, my, my shifts, one of my own, you know, one of my universe's shifts. And even then I was starting to find my way into it and get fly being the last song on that album was definitely a signal or uh, whatever you want to call it to, to where things were probably heading for me. And then when we got to the Lemons album and all of those sad clown albums, you know, that was still a continuation of me signaling and, and, and so on and so forth, all the way to this point where I'm at now. With Fishing Blues, 
you know, I was, uh, well, with family sign, I'd, I'd had another child with fishing blues. I'd had yet, uh, another child, you know, and, and so those things definitely are impactful on, um, what you write, how you write, where you write, when you write. And so I, I definitely would say, yeah, I, there was, there was leaning going on. I don't know that it was intentional or, or, or even, you know, conscious at the time, but it, but I definitely wasn't trying not to. If that's if that's the better way to answer that, I wasn't trying not to lean into it. But that's kind of always been my flaw: is that I don't really try not to lean into whatever the fuck I got going on at the time. You know what I'm saying? It's like I end up liking the songs that speak to me first and foremost. If it makes it onto an album, chances are it's because I liked it, and if I liked it, chances are it's because it spoke to me. You know what I mean? And and who better to write songs that speak to me than myself? But even the title Fishing Blues, when I think about it, it's like, oh, fuck, that sounds like a retirement title. That's not what I was interpreting at the time. But when I when I listen to that, Fishing Blues is kind of like a, you know, we're hanging up our hats and we're going to fucking go fishing and spend our fucking, our nuts and, and that we've gathered, you know, we're going to budget ourselves out and we're going to, you ever seen uh, on Golden Pond or, or what 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 was a, one of those fucking old guy movies yeah yeah yeah. so that's maybe our our version of on golden pond or some shit like that you know when i dig into the songs on that album though i mean there's a few songs you could cut that album in two and you could make a pleasant album and also a very unpleasant album there's two albums on that album and that's intentional it's uh there's a lot of songs on that album you know we usually don't put that many songs on one album also but it was intentional for us to try to create a, a listen that was polarizing to everybody i hate that word i don't want to use that word polarizing to everybody but also and when i say everybody i'm only talking about our our audience or the people that care about us um but in some way polarizing you either like these types of atmosphere songs or you like these types of atmosphere songs does that make any sense and so you had you had a song like the one with cool keith and doom which was a little bit more like i guess uh uh harsh uh you had a song like pure evil which was also kind of a harsh song you had us you know but then you had these this other side of atmosphere which was more of the, the dad rap side you would put everything in the in the latter category then yeah i would put everything in the dad rap side i mean that song has a like a vibraphone or some shit going on <laughs> like, like straight up diamond d shit you know what i mean like uh and, and 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 so it's a very pleasant listen that song is you know what i mean it's like nothing about that song is well the snare's pretty heavy like ain't really he really put a lot into that snare he made that snare it, that snare gave me a nosebleed i think but uh but I, I do put that song on the dad rap side of things yeah it's a song about sort of reflecting on you know age and and like you said, sort of being a good reflection on where you were at, honestly, with your life, with having a growing family and still obviously being very active in your career. I almost feel like I want to one day like have a some sort of series or discussion about this next question that I'm about to ask you. But just in this moment, what in your experience as somebody who is a dad and is a family man, what is the secret to balancing that world and the world of being a creative? Ooh, you know, I would say this, man. Um, one of the things that I that really helped for me was to, to just to always recognize my own youth within the situation. Like now, when I apply that to the the, the, the dad side, you know, just really trying to re see, re revisit the magical shit that we're surrounded by through the eyes of my kids, like. Like, look at that fucking giraffe, dude. Look at it. 
Like, look at that fucking giraffe. You know what I mean? Look at its fucking neck. Like, that shit is out of control. As adults, we take that shit for granted. So when I can re-see things that I forgot that were amazing, I think there's a spark there that I can tap into, hopefully forever, and use that for better or for worse uh, as 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 a as a in- inspiring spark to start the fire to whatever I'm going to do next. You know, I'm not going to write a song about a giraffe. Actually, I might. You know, you never know. That's the other thing. Is like, man, the the, the amount of animal references that have shown up in my music since let's say 2012 is ridiculous like it's like i didn't used to reference animals at all and now it's like every single song mentions baby birds or something now i don't even know you know what i mean and so i think that also is a, a part of it you know it's like i'm living vicariously through my kids and i'm stealing some of the kid magic that they have and i'm and i'm bringing it into my sessions maybe i should make a children's album that's a challenge. I like that. I like challenges. I, I I don't know if anybody knows or cares, but that's a huge part of what pushes me is to just keep keep uh, coming up with fucking rules. Like, ah, here's the rule. Don't do this at all or do this. You know, every one of these projects, quiet is kept behind the scenes. There's been some sort of weird rules that me and Anthony have come up with to, 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 to force us into or out of boxes. I think that's kind of the key to like um, people always talk about rep- writer's block or, or, or hidden walls, hitting a wall. And I'm like, man, the, the thing is, if you set your own walls up so that you can climb them, build your own walls to hit and climb and, and jump over. And then you never have to like deal with the ones that the world tries to put up for you. Obviously, I'm only speaking from an, an artistic space when I say that. I'm one of the fucking funnest dads because I also have the don't give a fuckness of a rapper. And so when my kids see that I'll fucking do some dumbass shit, on purpose just to make them laugh they they love that shit you know what i'm saying and 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 and, and, and in return i i feel like you know they offer me some of their youth that i can take with me now when you you know you gotta also remember that well, i tour for a living and so i'm often in rooms full of people that are at least 10 oftentimes 20 years younger than myself so being able to also be inspired by having my own children who drive me and push me, I can bring that same energy with me into these rooms and people forget or don't realize that I'm almost 50 years old. This is from 2009. It is from the Felt 3 album and the song is called Felt Chewed Up. Chewed up, can't be contained. Speak up, look with a gun saying, loot up, pick up the jump chain, speed up and book in the bus lane. You stuck, sitting dream by whips and cream and bigger things. Found my place, fit my jeans, get out my face, far clip your wings. Caught up in the middle of some sentimental bullshit. Got an instrumental when I figure I can pull this. Stay out the dark cloud downtown. Stay out in the cloud with the sunshine. My rhymes got a little bit more to give. So I give it and I stay on tour to live. Grab a mic, get it hyped, then I go home. In a big bus talking on a cell phone. What are your thoughts on Felt 3 when you look back at it today? Man, that album is so fucking hard. Like, it is just fucking hard. I revisited that album recently because we reissued it and they they wanted to like give it a, they, they remastered it and repackaged it and whatnot. So I, I listened to the test pressing and I don't tend to revisit my music. It's not a thing that I do. But I revisited it because they wanted us to thumbs up the masters or, or the, 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 the test pressings for the vinyl. So while listening to it, and I'm glad you picked that song to play because that song specifically is hard as hell that song is fucking it's a box of nails man but the whole album is you know 
uh, Aesop Rock pulled something out of Merce and myself that we don't get to do. So we're doing acrobatics on, on these beats because of the beats. You know, the beats pushed us to do that shit. And I'm grateful for that opportunity. There's like a lot more double time like flows and things because those are kind of the type of beats that Aesop Rock typically rocks for himself. And so, yeah, that that's one thing that I remember noticing. I was like, oh, this is really maybe more than any other, you know, of the producers that have done the Felt albums prior to that. This one really has a distinct identity that's different than what either you or Merce had really been known for before. Yeah, he Aesop pulled us both pretty far out of our comfort zones. But it was a thing where neither Merce nor myself wanted to admit to the other one that we were outside of our comfort zones. And so we just tried to find the pocket and do it like, yo, I was, I was built to do this. We never once had a conversation like, yo, I don't know, man, is this, is this one, is this, are we doing this right? And I feel like that the, the weird, maybe insecurity that was probably present for both of us actually became the strength because it got us to do things that we wouldn't have normally done. Like even, man, even the fucking interludes on that motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? The get cake, get cake, all that kind of shit. It's like, I would have never done that in an atmosphere album. And that was always the whole point of felt was to make, make albums that are not atmosphere albums and make albums that are not Merce albums. But then we, it turns out, well, what do you know? The felt records sound like atmosphere mixed with Merce, you know? Whereas I think Aesop Rock was actually able to make us sound like a fucking group that wasn't atmosphere or merce. And that to me is why that album stands out. It's it's like Aesop definitely made that. He fucking owned that shit. Like he came in and and, and owned it and in a way that I'm like, man, if you know, had that been a Ninth Wonder album, it would have sounded like, you know, uh, like a Merce album featuring Slug. Had that been a, you know, Ant produced it kind of like the the felt too. Sounded a little bit like an atmosphere album featuring Merce. You know what I'm saying? Whereas Aesop own that. And I would like to use that as a moment to just say that I do believe Anthony did a really good job with Felt 4 by not letting it slip too far into any atmosphere territories. Like I think that, you know, I think that was kind of the thing he came with this time was like, hey man, I'm going to make sure that I don't make Felt 2 again, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I asked Merce this on his episode when he was on this show, when we talked about a song from the first Felt record. And I asked him uh, what did he learn from you and what does he think you learned from him? So I would want to ask you the same thing. Working with Merce so extensively, you've done four albums. I know you guys have toured a lot. What is the biggest thing that you've learned from him either as an artist or as a person? And what do you think, if you could project or suppose, what do you think has been something that he's learned from you? Mm. As a person, one of the things that I think I mean, I've learned a lot from Merce as a person, so I'm going to just try to keep it. I don't want to get too far in the weeds here. But um, as a person, I, I learned a thing from Merce about friendship that I don't know that I ever really fully grasped. And that was the the familia part of it. The, like all my friends, my crew, my circle, we always had each other's backs. We were always there for each other. But we were not, you know, we, we didn't cry in front of each other. And from Merce, I learned that Friends do that. And I'm not suggesting Merce cried in front of me or that I had cried in front of him, but more so he, he showed me, he reminded me. Cause I think as a kid, I knew this. It's just that I kind of forgot it along the way. And I, 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 I only cried in front of partners, uh, in front of, in front of girlfriends, in front of, you know, Merce reminded me that feelings are not just for the bedroom. 
but feelings are for always. You know what I'm saying? Like, 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 like you can have feelings about everything and man, I appreciate that, you know? And, and he didn't do it in a way of like modeling that it just was the way that he dealt with people. It's the way he talks to people. It's the way he is, is just super genuine all the time with how he feels about situations. He doesn't like, he doesn't hold things back for the sake of strategy. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and I feel like that's, I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to get at here is that, you know, for me, feelings became this thing that I, I did in front of my family or in front of my partner or on, 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 on an album. But with Merce, it's like I realized, oh, man, I can be like I can I can have feelings standing in line at a fucking coffee shop. I can have feelings whenever they hit me. I can just keep it real with myself and not constantly bottle up my shit. But I can keep an open, uh, open line of communication as, as much as possible, you know, as long as I don't weaponize that. As long as it's not, I'm not using it to be manipulative. You know what I mean? Like, cause there's that too. And again, like I said, I don't want to go out into the weeds on this. I want to keep it kind of simple. Now, as far as, as an artist, go figure this, this answer is kind of similar, but he taught me not to sacrifice the point to make the rhyme. Like I, I came from a fucking style of rapping that was like, uh, you know, the, the, the old greats made me want to rap. Big Daddy Kane, Karis one, all of that was part of what molded my my ego my personality but when i really started rapping rapping i wanted to be a tongue twister i wanted to say like crazy multi-syllabic shit i wanted to rhyme astral projections with gastral infection and you know you want to have a healthy balance of all of these skills but i do think that you know if you go and look at some of the, the my, my earlier catalog you'll see that i oftentimes am overly rapping because probably because of insecurity i'm probably insecure about what another rapper is going to think if they hear this song whereas now you listen to my shit and it's pretty obvious that i don't give a fuck if any other rappers like me you know what i mean so yeah merce ruined me so if anybody has any fucking you know qualms or complaints about how i rap now please direct them to at m u r s you heard it here first, folks. He merce slayed the lyrical spiritual miracle side of uh, slug oh man Buried it. So far. And this song is from 2007, and it is from the Strictly Leakage album, or kind of a mixtape album project that you put out. It's called Get It To Get Her. Get it to get her. Playboy ain't got his own place. His mom and his sister were both his roommates. Where you gonna bring a lady friend? You gonna get her pregnant in your basement? You wanna explore her body? But mommy and Mike come down to do the laundry. Can't put your girl on all fours when your sister's room is one floor above yours. You're not in school, you're not employed. Full time, full grown mama's boy. You ain't making no choice when you ain't even worth your own weight in coins. She gonna laugh her ass off, and this time it ain't cause you took your pants off. Besides the fact that this whole project just sounded very fun and it's primarily you rhyming over classic hip-hop beats, was there any motivation in doing the Strictly Leakage songs beyond just having fun or, or did it seem like reactionary? Were you trying to... Was there any other purpose or was it literally just, yo, wouldn't it be crazy if we made fun songs over classic breaks and, and hip-hop beats? I do those kinds of raps. I always have. I grew up on those kinds of raps. And so I always write them. I always make them. And we were intentionally trying to make an album without any of those raps on them. And that was the album that ended up becoming When Life Gives You Lemons. So whenever I felt like I needed to rap like that, 
Anthony would pull out a beat that has a crowd in the background and say, here you go, get it out of your system here. And so I was making those songs, those, I was doing those exercises on the side just to, just to make sure that I still had my rap ability. And then I was doing my quote unquote songwriting over here for the stuff that would make it onto the lemons album, as well as the seasonal sad clown albums. And as we got going, we got a handful of these, these exercises, these rapidy, rapidy exercises. And, and when I was doing them, I was, you know, I, 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 at first I wasn't really trying to construct songs out of them. It was literally a place to put verses. And once we got going though, we were like, yo, some of these things are pretty nice. Like, let's, let's do something with them. So we decided, well, fuck it. Let's just keep doing what we're doing. But I'm also going to try to construct songs out of these. And so the, a few conceptual ones came out of it, like that one, Get It To Get Her. There's a few covers. There was uh, The Road To The Riches, which was the Cool G Rap cover. I wrote a sequel to Millie Pulled A Pistol On Santa by De La Soul and put that on there called M Millie Fell Off The Fire Escape. But ultimately, they're all exercises and they were all exercises that I could do so that you know kind of like maybe you you maybe you play baseball and then one of your exercises is to swim to keep yourself in shape but you know you don't you're not swimming in order to play baseball <laughs> but you're, you're you know and so to me that's what I was doing I was I was swimming on strictly leakage just so that I still when I did go step to the to the plate to play baseball I had I, I was in shape still you know what I'm saying like I wasn't just you know, I was able to, you know, my, my lats were, my lats were stretched. You sort of touched upon something that made me think of this earlier about your audience and the audience is often younger. And I've been to atmosphere shows. I've, I've been to Soundset. Uh, you know, I've been around a lot of the artists of your ilk as well. And it's, you know, a very diverse crowd of people who are hip hop heads, backpackers, you know, younger kids who have a completely different relationship with it. There are people who would come to shows that might be the type who are like, I don't even really like a lot of rap, but I like blank this artist or that artist. With a project like Strictly Leakage, which very clearly wears on its sleeve, like the lineage of the music that you grew up listening to, in doing a project like this, do you feel like it's like any sort of a responsibility or something that is important to you to sort of peel back the curtain a little bit and be like, hey, if you like me, you should really check out Cool G Rap or you should really check out Big Daddy Kane. Like, obviously, it's not... If you're working in a record store, it's not necessarily like the recommended if you like in, in a very, very close sense. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it, is it important for you, I guess... To, to show an audience that may not be up on all of your influences a peek into what made you who you are? That's always been something that Anthony and I have tried to wear on our sleeve without pointing it out or trying to take some sort of weird credit for it. It is important to us. It's, in, it's important to, man, just on, the, just, just, just on the weird slim chance that Big Daddy Kane ever hears me rhyme over the same... Uh, what, what was that? It's a blues. It's a blues loop. Uh, Albert King. <laughs> Am I snitching right now? Anyway, just in case he ever hears me rhyming over the same fucking loop, in, uh, rough, rugged, and raw. Like I started the same way he started. You know, it's just a, it's a, it's an homage thing. M maybe just as much an homage thing as it is also a signal to our audience. Like this is where we come from. Also, though, it's kind of a thing for my friends. You know, at the end of the day. None of these people have to support us. Like our shit could go away. 
away. Anybody's can. I've seen it. You've seen it. We've seen artists just go away. So if and when that comes, though, like this is still for my friends and for my own kids. You know what I'm saying? This is still for my inner Illuminatus, my, my, my crew, my people. And so they all get it. They already know the Cool G Rap song. In fact, they probably think they could have written a better remake than me. You know what I mean? And so it's one of those things where it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's for the people who already get it. Now, with that said, again, I've always dropped hints and clues and, 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 and I've always references and, you know, even some covers to let the audience know this is where I come from. But also part of me wants, you know, just in case Cool G Rap ever hears it, just so he knows that the respect is there first and foremost and then after that he can ridicule my remake and be like yeah this fucker sucks whatever but at least he knows yo like like big respect homie Soul Six. this song is from 2002 it's from the god loves ugly album and the song is called one of a kind one of a kind sender One at a time you're all the same Only separate by kick snares and names Some of y'all even share the same name So fuck you and your lies baby show no shame So point a finger at the sucker that's having a good summer Ain't got no bread, no wheat, no wonder But I got the phone number to this weakness I know Who can put me back together, make me feel whole So take me apart, try to break me down And spend all you got just to hate the clown You can fake the frown, imitate the sound Underworld, worldwide, wide world of underground It goes one little, two little, three little indie rap Headphones, backpack, watch them all piggyback Switch up my styles, they all complain But see which kids next year sound the same as me The same shit yesterday was like today Do you feel like you've gotten the last laugh in indie rap? Hmm I ask because when I listen to this, it's definitely, I feel like that song and its lyrics take me very specifically to an era. And you're talking about a bunch of your your peers, your competitors, maybe maybe rivalries. I, you know, I'm, I'm reading into it maybe a little bit there. And it's been interesting to watch from an outside perspective and, and getting closer to it over the years, how the rise of this thing that Rhyme Sayers and that Atmosphere was doing has sort of come up on the top in, in in an indie space. And I wonder if that's something that... Well, first of all, I don't even know if you feel that way, if you would ever say it out loud. But do do, do something with what I just said, because I, I kind of flubbed here's, turning this into a No, question. you're killing it. Here's here's what I would say. Um, and, and, and hopefully this speaks to what the question is. At the time, like that, that, you gotta remember, that record came out in 2002, which means that that song was probably recorded somewhere between 2000 to, you know so it was recorded well before 2002 because the, the 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 way things work especially back then you make this music and it doesn't come out for another year it was it wasn't so immediate as it is nowadays and so when i look at my career in 2000 2001 i was not yet um embraced by my colleagues you know People, people were still calling me, even when God Loves Ugly came out, like I was still the weirdo rapper, you know, New York had not necessarily embraced me at all. And that was Mecca to me. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I spent the first half of my career just trying to figure out how to fucking impress Brooklyn, you know? And so I was responding to the way I was feeling about my peers, you know, my peers, they were hating for lack of a better thing that like it's it's interesting how and it wasn't 
regular hate. Okay, like there's always regular hate. Like, oh, this person is is, is uh, this person rocked a show. How many people came? And then you're like, oh man. Okay, well, fuck that guy then, because he's he's doing good. Oh, well, fuck, well, fuck her then, because people are buying her records. Whatever, that's normal hate. People were going out of their way to hate and and use all kinds of fucking phrases and words about our music that were like, you know, it, it, people did not want to accept this type of rap, especially on in the twelve inch world. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can only imagine some of the conversations that happened in Fat Beats about my music in like the year 2000, right? And so that song was basically like, look, we're all trying to do this. The difference is you motherfuckers are all the same and some of us are not. And you're hating on us for being a little different. But ultimately, that thing is going to be the thing that makes me stand apart so that when when the bowling ball comes and knocks down all these pins, I'm not even going to be sitting on the I'm not getting knocked down. I'm, I'm I am different. I fuck it. I am different. And if you want to hate for that. That's your problem, you know? And at the time it's crazy because even, even, even artists who I was fans of or friends with, they were cool because they met me in person. But prior to meeting me in person, I know some of them fools was hating too. You know what I'm saying? I, I knew that it took people meeting Anthony or myself to be like, oh, okay. Oh, I just assumed you would be this kind of person based off of your fucking music. Right, which which is a compliment in a way because you know I've, everybody wants to feel validation about how they come across personally, but it's also kind of a slap in the face, like yo, like <laughs> you, you really don't fuck with my music that much that it, I have to actually shake your hand and meet you to, yeah, to yeah, you yeah. think that I'm cool. Yeah, it really was like that. You know, it's it's crazy, man. For real, I got a homie. I'm not gonna say his name, but he has told me this a few times. He because I think he forgets that he's told it to me before, but he's always like, man. When I first met you, I wasn't expecting you to be so big and tall. Like, I figured you were like a little wimpy guy. And it's like, <laughs> this is like, what? This is off of the records. And I, like, he's like, you're, you're tall. Can you box? Can you fight? And I'm like, no, I can't box. I can't fight. Don't worry about it. But, but the, the, the fact that like, people get these ideas of what the music is, or, or, or of what you are based on the music that they're hearing. And I'm no different. I'm sure that I had all kinds of preconceived notions about like I've never met Kanye. Right. But I have an idea of what he's like, just based off of the, the music and the, the interviews and the, and the, and the, and all the crazy shit. Right. We, we all do. We, we all have an idea of who Kanye West is, but if you fucking fall back and look at the people who call him friends, then Kanye must be pretty fucking special. Cause he's got a lot of friends that are fucking special. You know what I'm saying? It's like, but we, we, we let all this other shit get in the way of who the human is because we, we have our own read and our own opinion on what these humans are doing. And I'm, I'm choosing him specifically because like, obviously in the year of 2020, he really went out there. He, he, he really did. He went as far as he's ever fucking gone in a year when a lot of us are like trying to fucking be quiet and just, and just, and just kind of like observe Kanye went the other direction. And, but again, Am I, what, what can I do? What can I say, man? He's fucking friends with Dave Chappelle. And I fucking think Dave Chappelle is like one of the, you know, he, he should be fucking president. You know what I'm saying? And so it's one of those things where it's like, okay, so how much of my read on Kanye is really based on what, uh, what, what is being influenced by media, by songs, by all the shit that's just in my head or in everybody else's head? How, 
how much of it is actually influenced by Kanye? You know, what a fucking just this is a silly tangent. And I apologize for taking us out there. At the end of the day, here's the thing. That song, like most of my songs, comes from an insecurity. And my insecurity was that people didn't like me, Mm. you know? Yeah. Do you feel like that has been easy for you to shed those feelings as you've gotten older? Or, or is it still sort of there? I think as I've gotten older, I've just become a lot more like focused and in tune with which opinions matter. Mm. You know, I think there, you know, when I was younger, I probably had less of a, just less of a, less, less of a, an idea about what was actually important and what isn't. And, you know, ask me in 20 years from now, and I'll probably be even more refined with what's worth getting upset about. You know, when you're younger, man, you have a lot of upset to give. There's just a ton of upset inside of you. And it's easy to just fucking spread it all over everything. And then as you get a little older, you realize, man, that shit is a gift. You're, 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 you're upsetness. Yo, right? Rage against the fucking toaster. Anger is a gift, right? So your you're upsetness, it's a tool. And if you're just fucking banging that fucking hammer against everything, you, what do you risk? You're using it wrong. You break the hammer even, you know what I'm saying? Like you learn how to use that tool for what it really is. So getting concerned or worried about, uh, if, uh, if other artists like me, that's far off of my grid now. Now, am I concerned about if my own kids like me? Yeah, of course. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you just, you, you just, and that's a, you know, I'm just trying to make the ends meet here for the sake of not like over talking or saying too much or just, you know, talking in circles. But, but yeah, I think you refine the things that are important. And so when I wrote that song, I was, I was, and I'm going to say likely, cause I don't really remember, but just thinking about it and thinking about what I know about myself, I was likely very insecure about being embraced and accepted by my hip hop community. You know, once God Loves Ugly came out and the vinyl hit the shelves on in Fat Beats in New York and the vinyl fucking sold off the shelves in Fat Beats in New York, then the people in New York were like, yo, 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 there, there's something here. There's a reason for this. You know, it's just that prior to that, to them, I was just another dude putting out fucking weird 12 inches that they couldn't really understand or relate to. But once they saw that other people in New York were coming in and buying the records, they at least were like, okay, there's something here. We don't have to like it, but we got to, we got to at least, you know, admit that this, this exists and, and it exists for a reason. Soul Seven. Last song, 2007. It's from an EP, the sad clown, bad summer EP. And it is called Sunshine. That I that I possessed. Never really seen exercise is friendly, but I think something's telling me to ride that 10 speed. The brakes are broken, that's alright. The tires got air and the chain seems tight. Huh. Hot on, it felt the summertime. It reminds me of one of them moosab lines. Like sunshine, sunshine is fine. I feel it in my skin, warming up my mind. Sometimes you gotta give in to win. I love the days when it shines. Whoa, let it shine. Sunshine, sunshine is fine. I feel it in my skin, warming up my mind. Sometimes you gotta give in to win. I love the days when it shines. Whoa, let it shine. Do you know that you're writing what will be a big song for you when you're writing it, or are you surprised by that? No, you absolutely don't. Maybe some people do. Maybe people who are paid to write hits 
maybe they know the chemistry of a hit. Maybe when they hear it, they're like, this is a hit. I, I, I believe there are people that do. But me? No. I have no fucking clue. And I'll tell you what, if I knew that that song was going to be as big as that song was, there's no way I wouldn't have put that on the Lemons album. You feel me? That would have, I would have put that on there instead of you. Right. You know what I mean? Because to me, they're, they're similar songs in the sense of they're both about hope. I think they were both made right around the same time. It's just that in my head, I thought you was a little bit more accessible, a little bit more catchy, but also had more edge to it. You know, the drums in you and the, the synth in you is kind of weird. And so I was like, oh, you is the riskier song. That's the one that I would like to try to make the hit out of the risky one, you know, uh, sunshine was low risk. I didn't even think that people would necessarily like it so much, but I felt like it was perfect for the summer sad clown because it's called fucking sunshine. And it's a song about being hung over in the summer, you know, and riding my bike. It's a true story, by the way. Um, the only thing is I didn't get to write the part where it says, and I pulled up to aunt's house on my bike and I locked it up to his porch and I came down to the basement and I wrote this song, but I literally went to his house on my bike, hung over his fuck. Cause I was normal in 2006 and was like, what do you want to work on? I don't know. What are you, what are you doing? I don't know, I'm fucking hung over. He's like, that sounds like a song. I was like, okay, where's the beat? And he plays the beat and, and there it is. And I write a song about a hangover. And I think he might've known right away that it was special. But if I had known how special it was right away, it would have been a single. It would have it would have gotten a video. It would have been uh, on the Lemons album. Like I had no idea, so I, I really dropped the ball in that. But not on purpose, and not even because I'm a dipshit, but more so because I stand very close to my art. And when you let me make the decisions, I'm going to make them based on things that like ultimately are not real. They're based on the things that I see standing this close to it. You know, if I, if I was to bring it back full circle, if I had been better at collaborating with people back then, I might've listened to the record label when they said, Hey, we think this is a single. And I said, nah. Do they say that specifically about sunshine? They did. They thought that sunshine was great. I was like, well, here's what I want to do. And they're like, well, okay, that's fine. You know, <laughs> and, and bless them. I appreciate them for that. You know what I mean? Like, I appreciate that they, 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 they always have my back when it comes down to it. They're always going to, they always are the ones to be like, okay, I digress or I, I, I give up, I quit, surrender. You know, it just depends on who is going to go the hardest for it. You know what I'm saying? And I tend to go pretty hard for my beliefs often, you know? And so, so they've always been really, they've been a great label for me to, to, to work with in that regard. And it's, yeah, I know it's cause I'm friends with Sadiq. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's a great friend, you know? And also I think he just doesn't want to argue with me and it's only about my own shit. Like if I were to go in there and, and express any, uh, any really strong opinions about anybody else's shit, he would never let me win. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's only when it comes to atmosphere shit that I ever get to win, which is fine. That's how it should be. But with that said, I, I, I wish that I would have, Listen to them in that sense, just because I do feel like that song would have maybe made that album feel a little bit closer to the warmth that I was really trying to get out of that album. I just didn't, you know, I, I just, the, the, the album is really cold to me. Like that fucking album, when I listen to the Lemons album, man, it reminds me of like, listen to the replacements or some shit in the same. And I don't mean like song wise. I mean, I mean, actual, like sonically, I hear winter in that album. Right. Vibe-wise. Vibe-wise, you know, I hear winter like I do when I listen to The Replacements or like when I listen to, you know, whereas I wanted that album to be my 
version of Sign of the Times. Go figure. I accidentally did that with the seasonal sad clowns. I did, <laughs> I, I did okay with it on those. It worked. But with lemons, that was supposed to be a whole year. So I had the seasonal sad clowns. I had strictly leakage the, 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 the exercises. And I had lemons all come out within the same, you know, fucking year. And so lemons was supposed to represent a full year like sign of the times and really it ended up just kind of sound it it, it, it it it's cold to me it's cold to me like uh like like controversy the album controversy by prince or like the whole who's the whole husker do catalog or the whole replacements catalog it, it's it sounds like winter to me it's an unassuming song i would say and even the way that you released it is sort of unassuming com- when you compare it to the actual shelf life and the journey that the song itself has had because you go to a show of yours and that's like that has become even to my surprise just as, as a fan to to hear it and be like oh wow like this is the song that everybody loves like it's kind of a grower and it and but it does sort of have that resonance i think not just because people can relate to being hung over but there is like sort of an unassuming simplicity and appeal that's there that has made that song as, I think you I know, think resonate as it has I think Anthony once described that song and I think he nailed it in a way that I had never thought of he called it hope that's why I had compared it to hope on the on the the U album or the the, the Lemons album the U song has a has a hope thing to it but he he said that song is a hope song so even people that don't drink can relate to that you know uh it's and as far as the you know, I wonder, would the song have been as popular had it been more easily accessible? Like yeah, had it been yeah, pushed? Because yeah. maybe part of it, too, is that people grasp to it or, or cling to it because of how they found it. Maybe that plays a part in why it's a favorite, because it feels people hold songs like that special. We all do. We, we, when, we, when we find when we discover a book ourselves then we're the ones that get to share that book with people. It's the best. Whereas when you read the book that's on like Oprah's fucking book club shit, it's just like, well, yeah, well, everybody's reading those fucking books. Yeah, it's a good book. Cool. But when you fucking discover some shit that nobody's ever heard of and you get to share it with your friends, that makes that song even more special. And we love talking about special songs on this show. And man, did we do that today. So many thanks to Slug for getting down with the shuffle. Check out all things Atmosphere at atmosphere thank you so much to everybody who has been down with the first season of this show can't knock the shuffle thank you to the guests thank you to everybody who's listened and commented and given great feedback i've loved exploring stories behind both big and lesser known songs with artists and i'm looking forward to getting back into it with season two I also want to shout out the crew at Stony Island Audio, an amazing network of like-minded hip-hop heads. You should definitely check out the rest of the shows on the network if you haven't done so already. Big thanks to Arthur Banach for the super dope show artwork and Jason Denton for the really great motion graphics that we've been using to promote clips of these episodes on social media. Let me know who you want to see on season two by emailing me at can'tknocktheshuffle at gmail.com or by hitting me up on socials at Sean Dammit. Also, be sure to rate and review the show if you haven't already done so, so more people can find it and enjoy Can't Knock the Shuffle. And finally, last thing I promise, definitely get connected with my other hip-hop project, The Questions Hip Hop Trivia, by visiting questionshiphop.com, and from there you can follow us down the various rabbit holes of the internet. Anyway, thank you again for listening. I'm Sean Kantrowitz. See you next year. Peace.
Tony Island.